Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... You just heard the entire opening theme to Batman the Animated Series. Why did I let the entire thing play? Because this is one of those shows that when you turn it on, you do not skip the opening theme. Uh, That opening salvo tells you everything you need to know about this cartoon and the world in which it inhabits, this dark, foreboding twilight world where... Batman is really the only defense standing between the people of Gotham and those who would do them harm. I am extremely excited to talk about this cartoon. I think it's one of the best ever produced uh, on any subject, uh, let alone superheroes. And uh, I'm very excited to have a a dynamic duo today of our own, uh, not just me, but uh, returning champion, our friend uh, Rich Baker. You can find him at uh, the Westside Comedy Theater. You can also find him at Rich Baker Coaching, uh, where he can teach you how to do the amazing, funny things he does. Uh, And I know he's a big Batman fan because he suggested this topic, uh, and I couldn't be more excited to have him here. Uh, Again, ladies and gentlemen, Rich Baker. Thanks so much. I always, I I love, I love being on this show. I love talking with you. And this, you know, the two subjects we've talked about before are great. And this one particularly, I like you, huge fan. I think it's one of the best things ever made, ever. Uh, I love it. It, it really is a triumph on almost every level. And I was thinking about it kind of it, it, you have to talk about it in the context in which it came out, like the time it came out. Yeah, because if if you weren't young enough or, or not even born yet, it's hard to describe what a, a pop culture phenomenon Tim Burton's Batman was in 1989. Yeah. We, we talked about it a little bit on the Ninja Turtles episode. But yeah, I mean, were you young enough to remember Batmania? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I think it came out, what, like, uh, uh, fall of 90 or something like that, whatever it was. It was, uh, uh, like, it hit me, I think I was nine years old, and I was a fan of Batman comic books, and I'd seen the old 60s show, but the movie was nothing like any of that. Yeah, the movie derived a lot of its uh, inspiration from the comics of the 80s, which were darker. Uh, yeah. You know, Batman had gotten very, very campy with Adam West in the 60s and stayed that way kind of through the 70s. And then the response to that from, you know, guys like, um, you know, I I think uh, whoever Alan Moore 
uh, and, you know, these classic comic book writers were to do these very dark takes on Batman, which yeah. influenced the very gothic take we got with with Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, but what I love about this show is you know, obviously someone said we got to do a Batman cartoon because Batman is so popular. And this was in the era of like, yeah, fuck it, make it into a cartoon. So what we could have and probably almost should have gotten was a more direct adaptation, a cartoon version of Tim Burton's Batman. And yeah. that's not at all what this is. Yeah. And what we certainly didn't get was a Batman from the Super Friends era kind of thing, you know, which was a lot of 80s cartoons were like, kids, don't, you know, remember to cross the street or, you know, that kind of stuff. This was nothing <laughs> like that. Yeah, it had. Well, this has very little of the. Well, there's no camp in it at all. No, virtually, virtually no camp in it. But there's not. Again, the like the Bruce Wayne we get here, and all of the characters around him are not cartoon versions of the characters from the Tim Burton movie. They went out and they made their own thing. It is dark, and they borrowed the Danny Elfman theme for the theme of the show. But that's about. It the the dark world this inhabits is not even the uh, like visually it's not the world of Tim Burton's Batman either. Yeah, now Tim Burton's Batman is it's a dark comedy. You know, uh, it, really what it is. You know, it, the Joker is is deadly, but he's also silly in many ways. You know, with the with a ridiculously large gun and you know going around and you know like slapping paint on art on art and different stuff like that. This had. None of that. This was like the most noir, dark thing really I'd ever seen at that point. Well, not just, uh, you said noir, like it's 40s noir. This is much more similar to 40s era Batman, like the original conception of Batman, than it is to anything else in, yeah. in that had come before it. It, it borrows, it, the, the look of the show, I mean, it's not even clear when it's supposed to take place because it, all the men are dressed, you know, they're wearing hats, like it's the 40s. The, the look of the buildings is Art Deco. The fonts are Art Deco. Even the title cards to the episodes are a lot like the title cards you would get to movies of, of the 40s. Yep. But there are still, like, computers and things, so it, it kind of... This, this is... It makes this feel timeless. Yeah, and it's really its own world, right? Like, it's not... It, it, some of the technology in this is well beyond even what we have now let alone what we had in 1992 when it came out or whatever. And then, uh, but yeah, the cars and uh, different things are like, oh, that is old, that's retro. And so, you know, it's it's out of time and out of space, but still relatable. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's probably my favorite Batman thing. And I like Batman. This is probably my favorite Batman piece of media. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, and, and I like the Tim Burton movies. I like the Nolan movies. They, they all have their place and they're wonderful for different reasons. Sure. But th this is like a, a thesis statement on like, you know, if you were to try to, if aliens came down and you wanted to explain what is Batman, I think this is the most complete thing you could show them to say, this is what Batman is. 100%. And uh, just to go back to the context a little bit, you know, we're talking about like Frank Miller's comics and whatnot. They, uh, the only reason they were able to get away with this was because of Tiny Toons was such a hit. Like, yeah, they, they, that was because of Steven Spielberg. And so basically they had kind of carte blanche to spend way more money than they should have. You know, they had orchestral music as opposed to just some kind of like, uh, you know, 
lesser than you know canned music kind of stuff and because of so the success of one cartoon which was a completely different in feel and scope and everything allowed for this experiment to happen and it became as you said one of the i, I agree best media version of batman and it'll be hard to top if it ever is yeah i almost don't know that you can we we can talk a little bit about the visual style here because we, we mentioned yes the the look is very 40s it's based partly on these old uh, uh, Fleischer cartoons of uh, a Superman that were from that era. Yeah. You know, but what's most interesting about it is the animation is done in a different way yeah. um, because they wanted the show to be so dark. And I think this is the fun fact about it is that all the backgrounds, they started with black paper yeah. and painted onto it. Uh, and I heard somewhere that that was actually, they started as a budgetary thing of like, we can't just use up this much black paint to make everything black. We'll just start black. But it makes everything look almost charcoal. These very, uh, again, stark backgrounds where almost none of the show takes place in broad daylight. At most, you get dusk. Almost everything is at night. Yeah, there's like a couple of scenes spread out throughout the whole series that's where the sun is out and it's always jarring. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I love, the, again, you said the sound of the show, the look of the show, but I think really the beating heart of the show are the top tier vocal performances. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, part of the reason we're doing this is because of the recent passing of Batman himself, Kevin Conroy. Yeah. What a hero he was, too. Um, you know, what a, I mean, just a phenomenal performer. Uh, and of course, you're going to be hearing clips of his work throughout this episode. I'll be dropping those in there. What I love about his voice, um, and you can kind of hear like, like why does Christian Bale do that weird scratchy thing with his voice? It's kind of inspired by this, where yeah. where Kevin Conroy is able to create a very different sound for Bruce Wayne as he does for Batman, Yep, um, which is darker and gravelier. But what strikes me about his Batman, even when he is intimidating, there's like a warmth there that is hard to put your finger on. Yeah. And I mean, and it wasn't like he got lucky. They, they, according to what I saw, they saw, they listened to over 200 auditions and just couldn't find the Batman they wanted, couldn't find it. And this guy wasn't even a voice actor. He was a New York theater actor, you know, doing plays and stuff. And uh, they brought him in and everyone immediately went, that's it. That's the voice. Yeah. Yeah. And he does this stuff where, he did, it's extremely subtle and it, it's very, very impressive what he's able to convey with the help of the animators, of course, but that, that kind of like Batman as protector, like, you know, he, there, there are times that we'll talk about in the episodes we'll be focusing on today where you see him like comfort people, where you see him be like yeah. hurt. And it's like, that's kind of missing in a lot of the live action Batmans we've gotten is that like, no, he's trying to help people. There, there's like a, you know, usually it's like, like so in the Nolan verse, for example, it's all about how he's, you know, how thankless the job of Batman is, right? That, you know, he, he'll help people, but they'll never know that he helped them. Yeah. You know, he'll, he'll never get the kudos. And here there's like moments where he gets to like directly help somebody and like tell them, hey, it's going to be okay. You know, I'm, I got you. Yeah, and, and that's a, a thing that's just missing from Batman. And that, that I think it's sort of even in this series when they got into like uh, you know a couple of seasons, you know that those end seasons where they brought in like Tim Drake as Robin, mm -hmm. they started to change his character where he becomes a little more of an aloof asshole. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, you're missing the part where he's like devastated that Harvey Dent has been disfigured. Yeah. Like you need that, like, you know, Harvey, no, yeah. that, that, that part of his voice. Yeah. And uh, one thing that Kevin Conroy said in, in multiple interviews that uh, I, I think really helped define Batman, the character even more was that he said, oh, the, the resting voice for this character is the Batman voice and the Bruce Wayne voice is the voice that he, the character has to modulate a little bit to fit in with society. But like his natural speaking voice, how he talks to Alfred and anyone who knows the secret, it is always the Batman voice. That's a great point. I, I, I think you're right. And that definitely is something that comes up like in Batman begins. uh, They have the character of Rachel literally just say it out loud. Like, no, Bruce Wayne is the mask you wear. Yeah. And I think right. that came from this series. I think you're right. I think I think the Nolan verse owes a debt to Paul Dini's Batman, which we should name check Paul Dini for sure. Oh yeah, uh, Paul he's, Dini he's and Bruce the, Tim. The main are, sorry, go. Yeah, I was to say they're the architects of this thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like a lot of people were involved, and there's a lot of unsung heroes in animation, and, and you could go down the list, but those two are, are usually recited as Bruce Tim, Paul Dini. Those are your guys, because this led to so many other projects, animated movies, other animated series, and it was kind of called the the Deanie Tim universe or something like that. Yeah, and I think it's their writing, ultimately, that really makes this incredible. Um, There are moments in this series where, you know, with relatively little dialogue, they're able to really grab you and kind of go like, oh, I thought we were having you know, some goofy superhero hijinks. And now I got to think about some shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This, this show is responsible personally for me. And I'm sure you can write a lot of other people of like understanding empathy in a way that I'd never really thought about, at least not through media before. They do that in a very good way. You're right. Especially with the, with their villains and the way that they treat them and the way Batman treats them as well. There is a lot of that empathy of like, you know, they in later iterations of the character, they, they have Batman is like, OK, well, I'm not going to kill anybody, but I'll beat you to a pretty good pulp. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like technically you're not dead. Yes, you're on a lot of bags and tubes, but you're not dead. So I didn't break my one rule. You know, <laughs> And here it's like, no, Batman is like he really you really get the sense that he has a deft touch and he's he really is going to like try and. Uh, capture these people rather than kill them, even though arguably like, yeah, you should kill the Joker. You should kill, you know, the Scarecrow or whoever um, because they're going to do more harm. But he's like, no, I, he really believes like if we get these people, the mental help they need, maybe they can re- re-enter society. Yeah. <laughs> despite the evidence. <laughs> despite all evidence to the contrary. Yeah. He, he believes like he's a true believer and he's a hopeful Batman, which I like. Yeah. We should talk about Mark Hamill, too. Of course. So the original, do you know who was originally supposed to play the Joker? Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Like, what? A, I assumed it would be some nobody. Like, they, they canned, you know, a great actor and brought in who I wouldn't previously have considered, a, you know, a great actor, like an okay actor. And then this guy crushes the hell out of it. Yeah, I think somewhere you can find the, the Tim Curry audio. I'll see if I can get that. Hey! 
Hey, Batman, you stink so bad. I can smell you from here. <laughs> pew. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> but, um, I mean, you could sort of hear the idea of Tim Curry as the Joker. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Mark Hamill, of course, uh, Luke Skywalker, who has had a long voiceover career, but this is by far his best performance. And we'll talk about it again in in the context of individual episodes when we get there. But I, what I love about this Joker, love that Joker, um, <laughs> you he really modulates this performance and you kind of get all these different like you think about like, OK, there's like Cesar Romero's Joker and Heath Ledger's Joker and and Nicholson's Joker and and all these different char- versions of the character. And Hamill gives you the whole spectrum. Yeah. And uh, just like they said when they cast him like that laugh uh, and it's not and it's not just one laugh. He's got so many different Joker laughs, but every one of them, you feel this psychotic person laughing as opposed to you know just some laugh and not just the laugh but like again sometimes he is very silly and campy and they can just you know throttle him over to utterly menacing and terrifying so quickly um do you know where part of that voice came from uh i i know where some of it but i'd love to hear what you're to say so i saw him in an interview and he said he based a lot of the voice on claude reigns as the invisible man which uh, having that's one of my favorite old Universal uh, monster movies. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. But yeah, you can see it in that performance where uh, there's that scene pretty early on in the movie where you know he basically uh, unwraps his gauze to be invisible and he's taunting the the townsfolk. Uh, he he reaches this crazy kind of vocal space and it's like, oh yeah, that I can hear it. Like that's the Joker right there. Heck yeah. You fools. You've brought it on yourselves. Everything would have come right if you'd only left me alone. You've driven me near madness with your peering through the keyholes and gaping through the curtains. And now you'll suffer for it. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. There's a souvenir for you. And one for you. I'll show you who I am and what I am. <laughs> Look, he's all eaten away. Huh? How do you like that, eh? <laughs> so, something that I couldn't find any interview that Mark Hamill said this in, but that I happen to remember. I don't know if you watched... Uh, Prior to this series, there was a live-action Flash TV show. I think it was 89 or something like that. Uh, the very last episode, uh, Mark Hamill plays the trickster, uh, you know, a Flash villain. And it's not a great series. You know, it's it, it, it's flawed in many ways. But, like, I, I remember re-watching that, like, 10 or so years ago. And I go, holy crap, that is almost the Joker's voice. When he plays the trickster, he clearly modified it a little, but like he basically had the Joker already in another DC villain played live action. Yeah, I've seen clips of that and you're right. It's like, oh, it's like it feels like off brand 
Joker, but what it actually is, it's like, oh, this is the this is the starting point. Yeah, you know, he just took this and modified it a little bit to give us that you know <laughs> that, that that we get from uh, from him. Do you have any like strong personal memories of like watching the show as a kid or? Oh, so many. Yeah, I mean, it was the one show it, like because this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I, was still on the air, I think, when this came out, but barely. And that was the show that I I would never miss. And that and DuckTales. And then, but when this show came out, like, I I, I thought I had finally, like, grown up a little. And, like, all those other shows were good, but they were for kids. And this felt like, oh, this is a show for preteens, teenagers. Like, I almost felt like I was watching something I wasn't supposed to be. Yeah, I had kind of the same reaction to it as a, as a kid. Like, seeing this, I would have been 13 when it came out. As it came out in uh, uh, 93 as uh, not too long before Batman Returns came out. Uh, in fact, it was so close that the first episode that was created, which is one we'll talk about, Heart of Ice, that was the first episode they produced. But the first episode they actually aired was a Catwoman episode because they wanted to try and build up hype for Michelle Pfeiffer's appearance in, in the movie. But uh, the ones that stick with me are probably the ones we're going to be talking about because they almost have the structure of a twilight zone episode where they, you know, it, it starts off. Okay. We're Batman. He's doing stuff. Uh, he's rescuing people. And then we get hit real hard with like just something bleak and profound. Yeah. And I was just like going, Oh my God, I can't believe they're, you know, they're going to this emotional space yeah. on this show. And that emotional space is often, not always, but often in the hands of the villains rather than Batman. Most of the time. You're right. It's Again, you talked about that empathy before, and this is where they build that, which is like the, these people are suffering on some level. They're, it's the old you know, hurt people, hurt people thing. But up until this point, most of the Batman villains that most people, I mean, if you're not reading the comics most people would think of would be the the folks from the 60s series who yeah. are live action cartoons more than these people are. Yeah. yeah. And they found a way, I think, to introduce, they, they took some of these like third tier villains and make them feel like, you know, full-fledged members of the rogues gallery with an incredible amount of pathos. Like, oh, yeah. uh, we're not going to do, we're not doing any Mad Hatter episodes today, but like, holy shit, they made me care about the Mad Hatter, a guy who dresses like, the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland illustrations and uses mind control hats on people. It should be silly, but it's not. It's actually like extremely depressing. Say and same with Clayface. Like he's just um he's a blob of clay. But like you you feel so bad for you know Matt Hagen, this guy who t get turns into this. You know he's this actor and whatnot. Again, we're not talking about that, but like we could almost every villain uh, with maybe the exception of the Joker himself, like there's something about him that we like, oh, I I get it. I don't agree with how you're doing this, but I get why, how you got from person to villain. Absolutely. Yeah. They, I mean, they make all of their villains have such kind of like a, a tragedy to them and that makes it all work. And it's like, okay, like I said, you want, you don't want Batman to kill him. You want them to be like cured of you know whatever is broken inside of them yeah and so it made it when like those characters showed up in other works like for example uh we're, we're not going to focus on this but like the batman arkham series of video games 
was also kind of done by Paul Dini. It has a lot of the same voice actors. But they, when they would throw all of these villains into these video games, they were trusting their audience to just go, oh, I recognize that villain. And why do you recognize that name as a household name? Because you watched this show. Absolutely. And I think yeah. anyone who's into Batman, uh, at least in, anywhere near our age, saw this show. And I, like you, I encourage anyone to go back and like, they're timeless. You can go watch them. Uh, and you can, you can watch a lot of them on YouTube. And then they're also on HBO Max. I believe they have the whole run of the show. Yep. Uh, so highly recommend that. I would also recommend uh, another podcast called What a Cartoon, which mm -hmm. is an excellent podcast about all things animation. And they did uh, a number of series deep diving on individual Batman episodes uh, in you know in far more detail than we're going to get to here. So I just want to plug that. It's a, it's a great show with a, a couple of great hosts. But this is probably a good chance to start talking about the individual episodes because we got a lot to cover and uh, they're yeah. all bangers. So you want to start with Heart of Ice? Absolutely. Yeah. According to what I found, this, so this was the 14th episode. Uh, came out uh, somewhere in like September of 92 or something like that. And uh, this took a villain who was just known as Mr. Freeze, a guy with a freeze gun. There was nothing more to him. And it showed us how he became Mr. Freeze. And the voice actor who did it uh, gave him so much humanity, like so many of these voice actors we're going to talk about, uh, that this character went from no one even knew who he was unless you were a huge comic book fan to he's one of the baddest of the bad and he's like this guy that we, you know, he became obviously enough for the movie and Arnold Schwarzenegger who did, who made choices. Uh, but this episode, like, it, it, it might be as good as every one of these episodes are, this might be like, the best of them all but i mean any of these could could be yeah it's really good it actually was nominated for an emmy it was that good and you're right like it, what's interesting is not only does the voice actor who plays mr freeze do a good job of again kind of conveying his tragic backstory uh which we'll get into but he he's doing it with this vocal filter because the character is uh, he through a, a scientific mishap cannot survive outside of a, a sub-zero environment. So he has to wear this suit yeah. uh, to keep him cold. So from inside that suit, there's like this, it's not Darth Vader, but there's like a, a modulator on his voice yeah. and he speaks with a fairly flat affect uh, because his emotions are of course frozen too. And yet like you feel like just that incredible anger that he has this resentment at being screwed over by of all people, Mark Hamill. <laughs> uh yeah so michael and sarah who plays the voice of um of mr freeze who's in star trek and buck rogers and that kind of thing uh so apparently bruce tim wanted him to sound like a robot wanted him to be like i am this i am mr freeze and michael and sarah pushed back and said no that would strip him of all humanity and so he played him almost robotic but still with enough humanity to where you really feel for him yeah, and it's a great backstory they came up with. His his wife had a terminal illness. He is this cryogenic scientist, so he has her frozen while he tries to work out a cure, but he's doing it on the company's dime with their equipment without their permission. So the asshole who runs the company, who is played by Mark Hamill, comes in, disrupts the experiment, and basically throw, throws him against the beakers and stuff, releasing chemicals, which turns him into Mr. Freeze, which Batman learns along the way through some footage.
My name is Dr. Victor Fries. I am recording what I pray will be mankind's first step toward immortality. Behind me you see the CC-100, a cryogenic freezing chamber of my own design. I created it for the express purpose of freezing subjects stricken with inoperable ailments, subjects like my own beloved wife, Nora. Once a remedy has been found... Open this door! Open it now! Get away from that equipment! Shut this stuff down. Stop! This is my experiment! Your unauthorized experiment. I ordered funding suspended weeks ago. I'm already three million in debt thanks to you. You can't stop it now. My wife is in there. So bring her out. You can't interrupt the process now! Open it. It's her only chance! This is my equipment! Mine! I have every legal right to use it or not use it as I see fit. I say this project ends now! No! Stay away from her! Murderer! Victor, oh, I'm sorry. I lost my temper. It doesn't have to come to this. We can talk. Oh! Oh! Get out! Get out! Nora! Nora! My God. And, of course, what Mr. Freeze is trying to do is, one, get his revenge on the, the, the corporation, but also obtain the, uh, the tools he will need to hopefully continue saving his wife. Yeah. And uh, like other episodes we'll talk about, the real bad guy is the CEO. His name's Boyle. He's the Goth Corp CEO. And it's like, he's the one who kind of his greed or whatever helps cause Mr. Freeze. And even though he's not in the rogues gallery, you could argue that he's the real villain of this episode. They do that a lot. Uh, yeah. There's a number of kind of very human level villains. I mean, they have all their, you know, colorful comic booky super villains, but there are a number of villains in this show, him, uh, Roland Daggett, who is yes. a, a corporate asshole. You've got a couple of crime bosses in there. These kinds of villains who are kind of there's more like the banality of evil and, you know, they are the ones who like they really get away with everything. And I love that. It's a great feeling of like, OK, you know, we caught uh, the penguin or whoever this time we sent him off to Arkham. But this guy appears untouchable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one one little th one thing I throw out the writing of this episode is you know it, especially in only twenty minutes or twenty two minutes however long these are I mean they're so short uh, you know Batman has a cold in it of course he does he's fighting a cold guy and he has a cold like what a great um, and then Alfred gives him chicken soup and of all the bat gadgets he has the one that and he gets stripped of his belt but the one thing he still has on him is that chicken soup which allows him to defeat Mr. Freeze because of the, you know this thing that seemed like a throwaway bit but ah it's actually integral to the plot yeah they they are they're very well like plotted self-contained little episodes they they do a great job of like the setup and the delivery of all these concepts but the the my favorite thing in the episode is that for the first half of it, it feels almost like a 60s, you know, Adam West Batman episode. It's very it's a little more campy. You've got the, the you know Mr. Freeze's look. It is kind of intimidating, but also the suit he's wearing is very much out of like 
you know, a you know, 50s monster movie. You know, it's, yes. it's almost silly looking. He's got this, you know, uh, you know, very comic booky cold laser. And so it's hard to take seriously. And then they the turn they take where it's like, all right, now we're going to show you his backstory. And it's like, oh, wow. I, th- I thought I was watching something else. Yes. And then, of course, after he's captured, the, the monologue he delivers to this, um, he's got this little, like, I don't know, it's a music box or whatever it is. He's got this you know, little statuette of his wife in ice uh, yeah. in, a, in a little enclosed thing. That This monologue he delivers to it is so painful, and it's so good. Yeah. I failed you. I wish there were another way for me to say it. I cannot... I can only beg your forgiveness and pray you hear me somehow. Some place, some place where a warm hand waits for mine. Yeah, it's, again, great casting, great writing, just mixes for everything. Uh, just uh, one of several that we'll talk about uh, characters, you know, so they didn't create Mr. Freeze for this, but they did create a backstory that would become canon in every other thing Batman. But because of that, his wife, Nora Freeze, she wasn't even a character that existed. And she's, you know, since become a major character in the DC universe uh, since because of this episode. Yeah, Heart of Ice, uh, I don't think anyone could argue is is just a masterpiece of... You know, they call these uh, episodes short films. That That's how they, you know, wanted to write them. It's like, I want to make a little short movie, and I'd put this up against any other short film. Absolutely. Again, it's that, like, the, the efficiency with which they get all this stuff across is really impressive. Uh, and it's, especially when you have characters like Mr. Freeze and Batman who don't actually talk a whole lot. They tend to be kind of quieter characters they do so much like with every word that they choose. It's uh, yeah. it's really impressive. Uh, I thought maybe now we'll go to Joker's favor to, to spotlight yeah. uh, a great villain. This is uh, if you want to kind of give the synopsis of this, it's really fun. It's so fun. You know, it starts out with a guy who we don't know at all, Charlie, and he's just like a, a run of the, you know, working guy. And he's complaining about his life like, oh, my wife's probably making meatloaf. My boss yelled at me, whatever. And someone cuts him off and he starts yelling at him. Turns out the guy he's yelling at is the Joker. And so, of course, the Joker corners him and uh, is like, OK, I'm, I'll spare you, but you're going to owe me a favor. And I don't know when I'm going to call it in. And so Charlie like runs and he changes his name and moves his family. But the Joker has, you know, kept tabs on him. And finally he comes to collect that favor. And, uh, you know, so all he needs Charlie to do is open a door. So he says, but then of course it's a, it's a heist to try and uh, kill uh, Commissioner Gordon and all these other police officers and the mayor and, and all that other stuff. Uh, and so that he's, you know, Charlie's got to, he's the center of this, conspiracy so he's got to be the one to figure out how to get batman involved and kind of save the day yeah it's a really great opener Uh, it's one of my favorite opening things in the whole show because one you're right it's like as soon as we're we're focused on this guy that is a no a non-character like we don't know anything about charlie so instantly you're kind of going all right where's this going where's this going and you you know you see you see this freeway chase happen we see like you know cop cars are zooming down and the batman will be all flies past and he's like oh my god and then so he gets into that like you said that road rage incident and we've all kind of imagined that nightmare where some <laughs> other driver is angry at us 
and it's not just anybody. It's like, you know, the, the gangbanger or, you know, it's uh, John Gotti or, you know, whoever it is, Tony Soprano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's not yeah. just that I, I got in a road rage incident. It's with the worst human in the world. And here, <laughs> you, know, you don't get much worse than the Joker. And what I was talking about before, that like modulated performance, you know, because in this instance where the Joker pulls him over, he is fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah. There's your two cents. Now, what are you going to do to me? Listen, I'm I'm sorry, really. I, I had a bad day. Boss turned down my raise. And... Now look, my rude friend. We can't have people cursing at each other on the freeway. It's simply not polite. I'm just going to have to teach you some manners. Please don't. I have a family, a wife, a little boy. Please, I'll do anything to make it up. Anything. Anything, says you. Uh-huh. Okie dokie. Ah. Wallet. Oh, sure. Uh, I, I don't have much cash. No, please, don't insult me. Charles Michael Collins. That's you. Lousy picture, though. Lousy. Address, height, weight. Blah, blah, blah. Righty. Oh, chuckers. Here's the deal. I'll let you off if you promise to do a little favor for me. Oh, okay. What? I don't know. I haven't thought of it yet. You just toddle on back to your mundane, meaningless little life, and when I need you, I'll call. Eh? Good. <laughs> Great. I'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah, and he's there, and, and he knows it, right? And, like, the character is intentionally, like, intimidating this guy to get the laughs out of it, but he, there's so much nuance in Mark Hamill's performance and how he talks to Charlie and he'll go from pleasant to, oh, it's good to see you, Charlie, old chap, you know, to uh, like just like psycho, like, I haven't figured it out yet kind of stuff. Yeah, I love all of that, you know, because it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Because uh, yeah. what, what makes that character scary is that, like, he can turn on a dime and it's like, it's that thing of like, oh, you think I'm funny? How am I funny? And all, and you all know like, oh no, he, one of the wires in his head got crossed. He's on, you know, he's he's fixated on something, <laughs> and we're all fucking in for it now. Um, yeah. But the Joker here is, but Joe Pesci is more out of control, mentally ill. This the Mark Hamill's Joker is never actually out of control. He reminds me more of like Heath Ledger, his performance in that way, where it's just like. Anytime he seems to be doing something crazy and, you know, oh, I'm an agent of chaos, right? Like, no, you're fucking not, right? That's a lot. No, you, it's yeah. all a performance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's what I love in the Heath, Jack, Heath Ledger. And he's like, everyone's a schemer. I don't have a plan. It's like you have a plan more bigger than anyone's plan. Right. Your plan is on top of another plan. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, his... His brilliance in that movie is that he, he's got so many plans that the reason it seems like he can't lose is he's already figured out if this doesn't go my way, here's what I'll do next. 
right? So he's always got a, yeah. a plan. Um, here, when you find out, he's like, oh, I just need you to open a door. It's, we all know that's a lie, but it sounds so... Of course. But it could also be very jokery of like, yep, I, I intimidated you. I scared you into changing your identity. But really, I just need you to do this one dumb thing because I can and it entertains me. Yeah. So it, you could interpret uh, it either way. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, speaking of great voice actors, Ed Begley Jr. is uh, plays... Charlie and you know I, I I knew who Ed Begley Jr. was back then but you know Charlie's this big fat guy balding guy and you know Ed Begley Jr. is this beanpole tall guy and I I just love that he like the way he plays it I didn't even know it was him uh and he plays it such a great because the the character has an arc of at the beginning he's complaining about his life he gets the road rage and all this happens and at the end he's the one to top the Joker, not the Batman, by making the Joker think that he's gonna he got a bomb to go off, and it turns out to just have confetti, and uh, and you know, so he kind of beats the Joker at his own game. Yeah, and it's one of these episodes where it has actually fairly a fairly low Batman uh, quotient. You know, they he yeah. only kind of comes in at the end to a degree. He's not very much involved, except Charlie is f- trying to find a way to signal Batman to hopefully uh, defeat the Joker. Uh, which he does, but again, yeah, he he confronts the Joker and he delivers that, you know, like crazed, you know, like oh, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna blow us all up, you know. And, and the Joker's like, oh crap, he, I I drove him nuts, and he's gonna do it, you know. It, it, it's great. <laughs> he he out Joker's the Joker. Yeah, and aside from the plot, a, the big, a huge thing about Joker's favor that we got to talk about is it was the first appearance of Harley Quinn. Is it okay? And, and and when and when Harley Quinn was put in there, she was just put in there as a goon, just Joker's like she wasn't like a character that had a backstory. She was just one of Joker's goons. I thought, oh, he needs a female in this because she's going to bring the cake and you know, that kind of thing. And so uh, Arlene Sorkin, who plays Harley Quinn, she didn't she didn't put as much into the voice. She kind of voiced her herself because they told her it was a one off character. And, you know, when they want to bring her back, that's when she started putting in the, the more New York cab driver kind of accent and the different little uh, nuances that Harley Quinn would become famous for. Yeah. And Paul Dini has, had known her. They were personal friends. And uh, he had watched her. She was uh, she had a run on Days of Our Lives. And there was an, a sequence, like a dream sequence on an episode of Days of Our Lives where she plays a clown like she's dressed up in this you know, two-tone clown outfit and sort of doing a voice that's not all that far off of Harley Quinn's voice. And so that was one of the reasons he brought her in for that. It was like, oh, yeah, okay, I've seen you be this kind of, you know, gee whiz, Mr. J, you know, clown before. <laughs> and my pudding. <laughs> pudding. Okay, two drummer boys going to a bar. Ba-dum, ba-dum, bum. Boy, you're a rough crowd. Uh, and yeah, that, I mean, that again, they added a character to Batman canon within this show. Yeah. It was very impressive. That I mean, there's not... Who many... has become one of the most popular Batman characters now, you know, that has their own movie and, you know, several different things on own cartoon series. Right, and now they're adding her into even the Joaquin Phoenix version of the Joker is going to get a Harley Quinn, which is crazy to me that they're going to do that. Where do you want to go next? Uh, I've got a few down here. You want to pick one? Uh, Beware the Grey Ghost. Sure. Oh, man. Um, This is a great episode because of its meta nature. If you want to give the synopsis of this one. 
Yeah, so uh, uh, young Bruce Wayne was a fan of a TV show called The Grey Ghost, which was kind of like The Shadow, uh, you know, or kind of like an early Batman or, you know, uh, uh, one of those uh, Green Hornet kind of things. And it's voiced by none other than Adam West. So meta, who, you know, was the most famous Batman prior to this uh, from the 60s TV show. And then what happens? A series of crimes that is based on an old Grey Ghost episode. So Batman's got to find the actor who played the Grey Ghost and get him to help him in the case. But he's also like he, he needs his help, but he also really just wants to work with his childhood hero. And what is amazing in this episode, there's a lot of amazing stuff, but at the very end, without directly saying it, he lets the Grey Ghost know who he is, that he's Bruce Wayne. And that doesn't happen, you know, ever. He's got a few people who know his secret identity. And he's, like, trusts this guy so much that he kind of says something and they go, oh, really? And there's that moment in the very end. And I'm like, oh, it's so good. There you go, Bruce. Thanks, Mr. Trent. You know, as a kid, I used to watch you with my father. The Great Ghost was my hero. Really? And he still is. Yeah, the other thing about it is not just that he's working with the the actor who played the Great Ghost, who, who of course, has no super actual superhero skills. He doesn't know all the martial arts. Sure. The Batman, he's, he's an, he truly is just a, an actor. Um, but he's an out-of-work actor right he's he's he can barely pay rent by selling off his old gray ghost crap that nobody wants to buy and i heard you know in my research that adam west was really reluctant to do this because of you know how it reflected on him him feeling like geez you know you want you're you're asking me to play this has been (laughs) and i am a has been uh, at, at least at that point in his career, he was you know really struggling. Uh, you know he talks about you know, he can't get an acting gig because everyone just sees him as the Gray Ghost, which everyone saw Adam West as Batman. Like all of that stuff yeah. made Adam West not want to do it, and and the the showrunners had to kind of like coax him through it and say like no no no, you know see how the episode turns out in the end. It's like it's worth it because it sh- of of where the episode ultimately goes. Um, yeah. And it says a lot about fandom, right? Toxic fandom, because the the guy who is buying all of this Grey Ghost merch from him is the bomber carrying out yeah. all of the, the bombs, uh, the bombings. The The look of the Grey Ghost is cool. He's based on uh, the spirit uh, comic book character created by Will. Uh, was his name Will Eisner? No, his name is Eisner. Will Eisner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of a, a precursor to Batman as well. So there's there's all of these like touches in there about how we view our heroes and what happens to them, you know, um, when people forget about them. Uh, and you're right that like emotional moment at the end where, you know, there's the recognition of, you know, what, what gray ghost did is inspire Bruce Wayne to, to actually help real people in the real world. Not just, you know, Oh, I liked your show, but like I'm out there saving people because of what you did for me. Yeah. Art, you know, actually does, you know, make a difference in the in the real world. And, uh, you know, they, they show this in, on a meta level of how the art in within the art, you know, affected the real world of the art. Yeah. And, and Batman even says, right, look at, you know, we've seen the back computer in the Batcave in this show a million times. And this is the first time they tell you, like, oh, it's based on 
you know, the gray ghosts setup, right? He's like, and, and he's showing yeah. him around the back cave. Like, look at this. He's like geeking out kind of, about, you know, let me show yeah. you this thing and that thing. And he's got a, 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 um, you know, a spirit costume that he keeps in the back cave just for, you know, inspiration, all of that stuff. It's, it's so meta and it's so sweet. Absolutely. Great episode. Yeah. And of course, Adam West went on to have a, a pretty solid voice acting career after that. So. Yeah. Good yeah, especially, I mean, it's a family guy alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so let's talk about uh, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Which uh, The Riddler's origin story. Yeah, I picked this one. Um, one, I, I just like the Riddler. And I have to tell this story sure. that I, um, so uh, I switched jobs. Uh, it was about 2012. I switched jobs. But I happened to have my last day at the former job land on Halloween. So mm. I went to work that day in costume, the same way everyone else did. So, but I was dressed as the Riddler, specifically this version of the Riddler, Ooh, uh, the nice. animated series Riddler. So it was fun to like walk around and shake people's hands on their my last day of work. I'm like, hey, pleasure working with you. You know, hope to see you again sometime. Uh, you know, really, you know, not not burn any bridges or whatever. But it was very weird to do all that dressed as the Riddler. Um, <laughs> but I also like it because we've got a lot of Robin here. We haven't talked about his th- this version of Robin, but. Uh, yeah, was, Robin was very inconsistent over the show. Like some episodes he was in and some episodes he just we never heard anything about him. So it was kind of hit or miss on any given day when you saw this, whether Robin was going to be a part of it. And the in-universe justification for that is Robin is college age. So he's not always yeah. available to be helping Batman. And I think that's good because there, there's sometimes there's episodes where you go like, man, he's really in a pickle. He should probably call Robin in for some backup uh, right about now. But they, I like the way they, because of that, you get a fairly adult Robin here. Yeah. And he's not like, you know, ah, oh, gee whiz, you know, holy whatever, Batman. He's He feels yeah. like he's an equal to Bruce in a lot of ways. Like, he's up to the task. And I, I like having yeah. Robin be kind of on equal footing with Batman. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the story, again, the corporate CEO is the actual bad guy here because uh you know edward nigma who would eventually become the riddler is super smart and he designs this game that makes this company a lot of money and the owner makes sure to screw him out of any royalties he can uh and humiliate him as much as possible which leads him to want revenge and take on this persona as the riddler and what he does is he takes this like amusement park that's based on his own game that has been under construction. He kidnaps the CEO and forces him into this, the, the labyrinth, which is the game. Batman and Robin have to solve the labyrinth, which they do in part by cheating, by like hacking the system. First they solve some of the riddles and then they're like, you know what? Fuck this. Uh, you know, we're not going to yeah. play by your rules. You're cheating. Um, but what I love about it, uh, there's not a whole lot to say about kind of the middle of the episode, but the way it ends, I think is really great. Number one, the Riddler has actually outsmarted them. Because when you yeah. think he, they're going to capture him, he's like, no, I'm, I'm already on a plane. I'm nowhere near this labyrinth. I'm gone. Yeah. You, won't, you won't find me, which is great. He will, obviously, he reappears not very often. They don't do a lot of Riddler episodes, but I, I really like that aspect of it. Like, well, you, of course, he's supposed to be smart. He would, he would not stick around to get his ass whipped by Batman. Um, but then that, what I love is the CEO is he's safe, but he'll never sleep again. You're through, Nigma. Sorry, boys, but you'll never find me. I'm not even in the amusement park. And by the time you get out of the maze, I'll be out of the city. 
I guess the mayor's happy about this. Bringing in $5.5 million a year in new jobs will do that. But that creep Mockridge got to pocket a cool 10 mil from the buyout. What a burn. Maybe. But we've been searching for the Riddler for months. And he's still out there. may have his money, but he won't be sleeping well. <laughs> How much is a good night's sleep worth? Now there's a riddle for you. Yeah. How, mu how much is a good night's sleep worth? And it ends with him, like, looking under the bed. He's got a shotgun. He's looking all around his rich apartment or whatever. And, you know, so it's like he kind of did get his comeuppance. Yeah, it's like a, it's like the, this weird episode with the Riddler. You don't expect it to have that, like, horror movie kind of ending of, like, oh. Like, again, going to, like, we're going to go deep into, like, dark mental illness type territory of, like, this guy, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You, know, you will never sleep again. You will never know a moment's yeah. peace in your life. Uh, and he's you know kind of ruined. Uh, I really, really liked that. I thought it was such a cool way to like put something darker into an otherwise fairly kind of light and fluffy episode. Yeah. And again, voice acting, uh, the Riddler, John Glover, who, you know, made up from Gremlins 2, but you know, he would later play Lionel Luther, Lex Luthor's dad in Smallville. Great actor, brilliant actor, and plays him... You know, he's clearly an unhinged guy, but he plays him very calm and, and almost astute, you know, in a way that, uh, that you know, in the previous version of the Riddler, again, was cartoonish and over the top. And this guy was very um, calm and, you know, similar to like the Clock King and a few other, in the Penguin and a few other rogues villains where he's almost like high society kind of person. I like that too, because again, in, in none of the other we've had a few other versions of the Riddler now in live action. You've got Frank Gorshin from the 60s mm -hmm. show. You've got Jim Carrey in Batman Forever. And you got Paul Dano uh, recently in The Batman. And all of them are you know, unhinged in some way. Yeah. And here, Nygma is not. He Again, he this is more fitting, I think, of the Riddler's character, which is like the kind of person who will sedately come up with these extremely difficult puzzles is not a cackling yeah. madman. You know, he's, he's calculating, and that's what we get here. Hell yeah. Love it. You want to do Baby Doll? Sure. This, you know, of all the ones that you gave, this one kind of felt like uh, like like the black sheep of the list just because, I mean, it's a good episode, but I was like, I it was the only one of the list that I didn't have vivid memories of already without re, before I rewatched it. Uh, but it's a really good episode is you know it's another actor there's uh you know clayface we didn't talk to as an actor there was there's so many actors uh in this and i guess it's a meta that way but you know she's got this um system system systemic hy hypoplasia took me a second to say that uh to where she always looks like a little kid and she was a little kid star even though she was like 30 or something and now she's an adult but still looks like a little kid so she's wants that 
back that she had, that stardom, that feeling of family. And so she goes psycho and kidnaps her old TV family. Yeah, this kind of plays into a thing that was definitely like a a comedic punching bag in the early 90s, which is like child star gone bad, right? Like Todd Bridges of the world. And I picked this one yep. because, yeah, she's not she's not a mainline villain as far. I think she had one other appearance on the show much, much later. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that she's had any life in the comics or anywhere outside of this. But this one had, I thought, one of the biggest emotional gut punches they've ever thrown, mm-hmm. which is that they she has this catchphrase from her old TV show, which is sort of like Brady Bunch-esque. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. she's the baby and she's always getting into trouble. And her catchphrase is, I didn't mean to. And she talks in this very <laughs> baby esque voice. And even though, again, she's like, you know, 23 or something when this show is on, she gives up her life on the show because she wants to be a dramatic actress and face plants and is desperate. And they show like a clip of her trying to do Macbeth. And it's a brilliant performance as Lady Macbeth vocally. But you look at her, yeah. and of course, she looks like a six-year-old Cupid doll, and so it yeah. doesn't work. But the the actress who plays her, you know, like she drops the baby shtick and talks in her actual voice, and it's you know really compelling. And we find out that she quit the show in a fit of rage because they brought in, uh, you know, another younger kid actor to like give her a hard time on the show, and he's played yeah. by uh, the voice actor is the actor who played cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch, who amazing was literally, yeah, like that, this annoying character that they brought in in a late season of a show that everyone hated, of course. And she is kidnapping her old co-stars to like recreate this episode and give it the ending she thinks it deserves, which is, of course, to blow them all up. And yeah. it turns out, of course, that the actor who is playing Cousin Oliver or whatever is actually Robin in disguise. They've, you know, they intercepted that actor and made sure that Robin got kidnapped instead. They That leads them to them, which leads to this shootout where... Uh, and a chase of baby doll into uh, a house of mirrors where yeah. she she sees herself, you know, in, in one of these mirrors. I don't I mean, it's not realistic, but one of these mirrors, she looks like she would if she were a full grown adult. And yeah. she looks at it and she says, that's me. That's the real me. And she delivers this just heartbreaking moment. It's me in there, the real me. There I am. But it's not really real, is it? Just made up and pretend like my family and my life and everything else. Why couldn't you just let me make believe? She, you know, she's holding this gun. She's she's got nothing left, right? She fires the gun and breaks. She, 
all the mirrors, including that one, till she's out of bullets and just clicking, 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 just you know, with this thousand yard stare. And Batman puts his arm around her again, like that, like comforting moment. And she just says, her catchphrase, "I didn't mean to." And now the context is not, you know, gee whiz, I didn't mean to, but it's like, you know, I, I'm a broken person. And it's yeah, and she doesn't deliver it like a bitch. She delivers it like an old, like a fifty-year-old woman. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. It's just an incredible yeah. moment. But again, I love that like they give Batman the moment. Like she just hugs his leg. Like he, you know, he's like, I'm. I could just punch you and take you out, but he does. He like he recognizes of like you know what pain she's in, and comfort, like he comforts this person who's been trying to kill her co-stars. Like it's a great, great moment. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm very curious if I ever get a chance to talk to Bruce Tim in real life, I would be very curious if this episode was at least partly inspired by the Fisher King. Uh, if you remember that movie with Robin Williams, but you know the the uh, Jeff Daniels character, he's, he says, "Forgive me." That's his line that he auditions for the sitcom, right? And it becomes integral in the plot. Forgive me, right? And I'm wondering, you know, that re- this episode rewatching it really reminded me of that movie. I'm like, I bet this was inspired by that. Yeah, it's it's very very brilliant the way they kind of reuse because that line gets reused over and over again, and then to hear kind of rehear it in this context, it's just like I said, like uh, one of my favorite like just emotionally devastating things that this show delivers. It's very yeah, impressive. That was a hard punch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to do almost got him? Oh sure, almost is- got him. The, the uh, you know it's almost Rashomon, but not quite. But it's like s- several short stories within the episode. Uh, so you know it starts out a poker game. You got the Joker, Penguin, Croc, and Two Face playing cards. Poison Ivy shows up, and they sh- they share their almost got Batman stories. Yeah, it's great. It's like you get this like anthology series within what's already like a twenty two minute cartoon. But it's really fun. Like, it's this great, it, it gives the, the villains a sense of kind of camaraderie, which sometimes they team up, you know, here and there, but usually not. Usually each episode is kind of a standalone thing. But it's very funny to see, like, their very lived-in relationships with each other. Like, they call out the fact that Poison Ivy used to date Harvey Dent before he was disfigured and turned into Two-Face. Um, yeah. You know, the Joker needles Harvey a whole bunch in different ways. And then they get this great line from Croc where, like, it's finally time for him to tell the story. And he's just like, one time I almost hit him with a rock. And that's <laughs> it. It's so funny. And then? I would have got him. Gee, that's too bad, Harv. But I guess you'll always come in second. Anyone else want to go? <laughs> there I was, holed up in this quarry. When Batman came nosing around, he was getting closer, closer. And? I threw a rock at him. So, Harvey, what became of the giant penny? It was a big rock. It was a big rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's very, very funny. Um, And we finally get to the Joker's story which is that he kidnaps batman and puts him on a like he hijacks a talk show uh shades of joaquin phoenix again uh interestingly i don't know if they were inspired by this at all but had to have been right yeah it seems like it and um he's hooked up to a machine where laughter makes the machine electrocute batman the more people are laughing but what i love is like he's not funny 
Like the Joker is kind of unintentionally funny. He's never like delivering hilarious jokes as a comedian. So he just yeah. he just gives them all laughing gas to force them to laugh. And again, Arlene Sorkin kills it as Harley Quinn because at one point they say that the, the audience is so gassed up they can read the phone book, and she's like, you know, A. Aronson five five five, you know, and they start laughing or whatever. And I'm like, that delivery of just reading the phone book in Harley's voice, like, it's amazing. It's fantastic. And of course, he gets out of it. But what I love is so the 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 twist is that Croc is not Croc. It's Batman in disguise sitting at the poker table and all of these dudes like way in the background that you have been paying attention to are cops, right? It's a, yeah. the whole thing is a sting, but they, they kind of see throughout the episode. There's little hints that like, that's what Batman is up to. And if you're paying attention, you'll know that like the one, yeah, the dumb story about one time I almost hit him with a rock, but I think at one point early in the episode, Croc gets up from the table and if you're watching carefully in the background, you can tell that like something has happened that like maybe the real croc was like knocked out, but like there's something going on in the shadows. that's like odd, you know, you can notice that there's, there's a few little things here and there. It's, but again, yeah, really fun for that Rashomon element. Yeah. And of course it ends with the titular line with Catwoman is trying to, you know, kiss Batman and he goes away and she's almost got him. Yeah, the Joker talks about there's a couple of different ways to quote unquote get Batman other than killing him. And one of them is to kill Catwoman, which they know will yeah. you know, hurt him. But that's uh, that's almost got him. A great episode among these. Uh, we've got a few left here I want to get to. So we've got Appointment in Crime Alley and I Am the Night, which are kind of uh, a pair because they both Very involve. Very similar. Yeah, they both involve Batman uh, going to visit the site of his parents' murder on the anniversary of the crime. Yeah. Appointment in Crime Alley is very interesting to me because um, the only real, like, cartoonish villain is a guy named Nitro, who's like a throwaway villain. And unlike the Riddler or any of the others we talk about, we don't get a backstory. Like, it doesn't matter. The story's not about him. He's just, we need someone to to be the guy to literally set the explosives. Uh, Because they're trying to, you know, the, the real bad guy's trying to blow up Crime Alley so that he can have a real estate deal go through. Yeah, the, the whole point is that it, uh, they are going to uh, just demolish part of this neighborhood, this blighted area, and rebuild it, regardless of the fact that there are still human beings that are living there. Uh, and we meet yeah. Leslie Tompkins, who is an interesting character. She's, as you said, one of those very few people who knows the secret about Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Uh, because she was like a, a counselor who comforted him right after his parents were shot. And uh, yeah. so he always goes with her to drop a couple of roses off at uh, at Crime Alley. Another kind of fun detail about this is that uh, one of the goons, it, you know, lesser goons here, is played by Jeffrey Tambor. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I was listening fun. to it. And I'm like, boy, that voice sounds familiar. And we've been doing a rewatch of Arrested Development recently. So it's kind of like oh, I've been hearing great. a lot of Tambor. So I'm like, oh, that's definitely Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, and nice. uh, yeah, small, small role. But I do like that they kind of bring in, again, like kind of a non-comic booky villain in the form of like, you know, yeah, real estate development and uh, gentrification and kind of all of these kind of very yeah. real world things that happen in uh, crime infested areas. Yeah. The greedy rich guy, once again, is the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. And also that like, you know, Batman is talking about, you know, the the, the quote unquote appointment, right? Like he's worried he's going to be late for this appointment and we finally realize what it is which is this you know remembrance yeah putting putting two flowers on the space where his parents were murdered yeah 
This used to be a beautiful street. Good people lived here once. Good people still live in Crime Alley. And then in the next one, uh, I Am the Night, which also, I guess, must take place at least a year later, because it's the same thing. He's going to leave the, uh, the flowers there. And he, um, he, this is one where he starts to question the, the value of his crusade as Batman. Am I doing any good? And I really yeah. like this because we, they don't delve into this too much. And they, you know, it's rare for them to kind of get this far into Bruce's personal pain and anguish over this. Yeah. And it takes kind of a lot of help from those around him to kind of like give him the pep talk he needs to go like, no, you are, you know, think of all the people you've helped over the years, all the crimes you stopped, all, you know, cause he feels like he's on a treadmill to some degree. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they really show Batman suffering from depression. You know, this, this character that we think of that can do anything, solve any crime, beat any bad guy, but he's suffering from internal depression right now. And uh, I don't know what effect that had on me as a kid, but rewatching as an adult, I'm like, man, we should show that more people who are very powerful can still suffer from this internal kind of struggle. Bruce? Bruce, if you stay down here much longer, you'll be growing mushrooms in your armpits. I should have been there. You can't be everywhere. I let him down. You're being too hard on yourself. He's a friend. More than a friend. Jim Gordon's the same age my father would have been if he hadn't. Now he's hanging by a thread. If I'd gotten there five minutes sooner. You're only human. You do all one man can do. More than any man's expected to do. I chose this life. I used the night. I became the night. Sooner or later, I'll go down. It might be the Joker, or Two-Face, or just some punk who gets lucky. My decision. No regrets. But I can't let anyone else pay for my mistakes. Jim Gordon's a cop, Bruce. He knows the risks. How long before I let someone else I care about down? Leslie. Alfred. You. When all is said and done, how much good have I accomplished? They sell t-shirts of me. I've become a cliché. More good for the tourist trade than the streets. This city would fall apart without you. Maybe. Maybe not. When you look too long into the abyss, the abyss looks back through you. Maybe it's time for Batman to return to the night that spawned him. Before anyone else gets hurt. And it gets to that thing that, like, it's a nice realistic thing when you think about, like, yeah, if, if you keep catching the Joker and he keeps getting out, you know, at a certain point, do you feel like, you know, what's the point? You know, if he's just going to bust yeah. out of Arkham again, right? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he has, uh, by that same token, he's also foiled the Joker over and over again to stop whatever, you know, he or, you know, any of these other villains was up to. Uh, you know, again, just sort of a nice companion piece. And he, you know, he helps out this... Uh, young guy kind of who we meet at the beginning of the episode kind of turn his life around and yeah. he said to you know, go walk the straight and narrow. And it's like, you real, you know, it's that thing of like you watch the look on Batman's face and it's, and that vocal performance again from Conroy, like, 
he's like at peace because he's like, I helped someone. I can see I have that concrete proof that I made I helped someone have a better life. And I love the line the kid says right before uh, the end where he says, you probably hear this all the time, but you really changed my life. And you're like, no, Batman doesn't hear that all the time. Batman is gone by the time anyone's saying that. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about the trial. Uh, or oh, I think it's just trial. trial. So good. Yeah. Because this is like, this is a, you know, everyone's in this episode. It's so fun because he's, Batman is captured and put on trial in a kangaroo court with uh, the Joker as judge. And all the other rogues gallery is the jury. Yeah, and, uh, and witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> right, and witnesses. I mean, it's a kangaroo court for sure. Uh, but they have this sure. prosecutor who, you know, is, a, you know, she views Batman as this vigilante who should not be and is forced to be, is also kidnapped and forced to be his defense attorney. And through the course of her defense, the, the, the accusation from the villains is, you know, you made all of us, right? And this thing has come up yeah. before, you know, literally in the, in Tim Burton's Batman, like, the, the, you know, you I made you, you made me, you know, should we really be arguing over who yeah. made who, you know, right? That that concept comes up in uh, Batman be, in Begins and, and Dark Knight, right? Like, you, you escalate things, sure. you're creating these people. And this episode kind of pushes back on that, and it's like, no, we're, we're going to prove that, like, no, he didn't. Batman did not create these people with the exception of maybe the Joker who he knocked into a vat of chemicals, but everyone else, it's like the, pro, the, the, the attorney kind of takes them apart. It's like, no, you, you didn't. Batman didn't do that to you. You did that to you. Yeah. And you know, it goes back to this empathy thing we're talking about of like her, her whole thing as district attorney is I want to focus on taking down Batman. Uh, and now she's got to defend him and she really comes around and changes her mind and is like, no, we need Batman. And also like she was the person who was arguing too that like Batman's responsible for creating all of these miscreants and she is forced to by kind of cross examine them to go like, no, actually that, that is a, a misconception. You know, a yeah. lot of these people mostly did it to themselves. You know, like we said, like the Riddler's origin story, Batman had nothing to do with that. He didn't screw this guy out of his, you know, video game deal. Yeah. He's not the one who threw at or caused Harvey to have half his face blown off. You know, he didn't do any of this stuff. It's it's great. And of course, the the, the moment at the end where like, so they find, you know, they find Batman not guilty, but we're still going to kill him anyway, because who gives a shit? Because uh, of course we are. <laughs> we're the villains. We're going to kill him. Yeah. Uh, very, very funny. And then the Joker comes in dressed as a priest and gives him his last rites. And I forget, how does he get out of it? The, the, he, Robin helps rescue him or Commissioner Gordon comes in and saves him or something. Yeah, I think. I, honestly, I don't, I don't even remember the ending because like it's the trial oh. part of that that's the most... The, it's the district attorney. She gives Batman something that helps him get out of his uh, manacle or uh. whatever he's got changed. And so he just, he clobbers all of the villains and then the cops come in and bat clean up and, and kind of take them away. Yeah, it's it's just a really fun episode because again, you're getting all of the almost all of the villains in one spot, which you rarely rarely get. Real, there's another one kind of like this where um, Hugo Strange has figured out that Bruce Wayne is Batman and he's going to try and reveal yeah. that to the other villains, like the highest bidder or something. They're all there trying to find out. And anytime you get all of the villains into one place at one time. It, there's just this real fun sense of like, oh, it's Halloween in in uh, in Gotham today. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and spe- you know they didn't kill him in that episode, but this episode we're talking about next, it, it might be my favorite. The man who killed Batman focuses on a character that I don't think exists outside of this episode. Sid the Squid. He's this low level nobody 
who dreams of being a big shot, dreams of being the mafia boss or whatever. And but he's a short little guy. He's got nothing to offer, but he accidentally seems to kill Batman. He doesn't, of course, but everyone believes he does, including him. And so it winds up getting him in trouble with the Joker. It winds up getting, you know, people trying to fight him. I should be the guy who beat up the guy who off the bat or whatever. Right. Everybody. Yeah. I was going to say, everybody wants to take a shot at him because it's like, well, if you kill Batman, if I take you out, then I'm tougher than you, right? It attracts all it's of the Wild West, attention. right? If you're the fastest gun and I can outdraw you, I'm the fastest, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's play. Uh, he's played by Matt Frewer, you know, famous for uh, 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 Max Hedrum. And, uh, you know, Batman lets people think that he got killed so that he can follow this guy to the real bad guy, Rupert Thorne. Voiced by John Vernon, who I just think kills this role. I love John Vernon. I'm a big Killer Clowns fan. And then, uh, uh, you know, then then he winds up, the guy has to go to jail. But Batman says, well, you might be okay in jail because they they still think in prison that he's the guy who off the bat. So he like, you know, they vener- he, get, he has to go to jail, but he's an important person. He's finally a big shot. Yeah. Yeah, and I love uh, the sequence in this where... I love that the Joker shows up and he's not the main villain. They, they'll do that every once in a while where there's kind of like a detour through one of the the, the marquee villains. Um, but the episode's really about something else. And here, yeah, again, the Joker, just like all of these other guys, is jealous and he's frustrated that he didn't get to be the one to kill Batman. And so they have this fake funeral for Batman because he's carrying around, Sid the Squid is carrying around the cape and cowl. Because yeah. he managed to like grab that somehow uh, in the in the fray before Batman seemingly got exploded, uh, and so they have that. They're kind of putting it in this pine box. They're gonna cremate it. Um, but the stuff the Joker says, he, I think, then Harley Quinn does like a um, Amazing Grace on Kazoo. Dear friends, today is the day the clown cried. And he cries, not for the passing of one man, but for the death of a dream. The dream that he would someday taste the ultimate victory over his hated enemy. For it was the Batman who made me the happy soul I am today. How I agonized over the perfect way to thank him for that. Perhaps with a cyanide pie in the face. <laughs> or an exploding whoopee cushion playfully planted in the Batmobile. <laughs> but those dreams were dashed by the Weasley little gunsel sitting there in our midst. The cowardly, insignificant Garneth who probably got lucky when Batman slipped on the slime trail this loser left behind him. This mound of diseased hyena filth who's not fit to lick the dirt from my spats! But I digress. The time for sorrow has passed. It's time to look ahead to a future filled with smiles. And I'll be smiling again. Yeah, and that was really Arlene Sorkin on the kazoo. They did one take, 
And they said that uh, if they had to do another one, they wouldn't have because they were all laughing so much in the booth. It's it's just a great, like, very silly moment of like, oh, this is how the Joker processes the death of Batman, uh, especially when he's not responsible. And it's the best line. Do you remember the line that he says? Uh, Tell me. With without Batman, crime has no punchline. Yes. Uh, one thing I like Beautiful. about the, the Joker reminds me a little bit of uh, if you've ever seen Yellow Submarine, he reminds me of the the leader of the Blue Meanies in that movie. Both in his visual design, there's a little of it, and a little bit in the voice too. Uh, I, I can't help but think of that every time I watch him. And in this episode in particular, the way he delivers the eulogy and stuff, it's that part of the Joker's voice where it goes lilting up like this. Like that's very um, Blue Meanies. Yeah, I think Mark Hamill even cited those on a, one of the interviews that I saw. Oh, well, there you go. All right. And then I, yeah. I, I sussed it out correctly. Um, yeah, no, you nailed it. Yeah, it, it's a really great episode. And again, it's that it, it says a lot about this version of Gotham, right? Like it, it, what it means to be uh, an important person here in, in this world. Yeah. There's there's a moment I just gotta call it. It's so small, most people would miss it. But there's a bar fight at one in the middle of the episode, and they focus on the bartender who's just sitting there bored with his like hand, you know, holding up his, and he's just they. You hear fight, fight, fight. The bartender's doing nothing, and he just a guy gets knocked out in front of him. So he just reaches down and flicks a little cup of peanuts onto the guy's head and you hear the guy go, ow! And the, and the bartender has this satisfying smile. I think it's one of the funny... This, this, this series isn't known for its funny moments, but I think that's one of the funniest moments in the whole thing. Just like, little bartender, flick, ow! <laughs> I do remember noticing that. Like, he is, like, kind of conspicuously, like, kind of watching, like, oh, it's another bar fight. It's, it's Tuesday or whatever. But, yeah. like, yeah, the way he kind of eventually says, oh, whatever, I'll get in on this bar fight. Uh, is very well uh, this is very well observed and that's the last episode we had sort of slated to talk about uh, there are so many good ones um, there's the, so many yeah we 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 thought about doing the two parters with two face and feet of clay but they're they're a bit longer and more involved but they're both worth watching the the design yeah. work on I think two face and clay face are both uh, really good a lot of the best yeah. animation in this show uh, is from the animation studio that made Akira Nice. Yeah. After that movie, there was a point at which they were, uh, you know, struggling for business a little bit. And so they took on this uh, moonlighting work from American. They didn't do the entire show, but like uh, any episode where the animation is particularly good, which would include so that uh, that episode with Clayface, you mentioned he's an actor. Right. And he and he changes shape. He transforms Um, at the end of that episode. Batman defeats him by turning on all of these different TV screens, showing different performances of himself. And he starts to like uncontrollably transform into each of these different um, iterations of characters he's played. It's kind of like the the T one thousand at the end of Terminator two, like in the falling into the lava, like mutating into different characters. But it's extremely well animated. All of these transformations way better than you would expect for uh, a, a TV budget cartoon. Um, yeah, animation yeah. was amazing, and, and you know. We're, 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 I know we're running out of time. We don't want to talk about all of it, but like this was so good. It birthed so many things. Uh, Superman, the animated series, the new Batman adventures, Batman beyond, which honestly is worthy of an episode in of itself. I think justice league might also be, 
uh, Mask of the Phantasm, which is one of the best Batman movies. Like, uh, so many things. And, you know, not just stuff directly, but, I mean, I think anyone who's touched Batman in any way, or even other superhero stuff, they would be lying if they said that this uh, series didn't inspire them in some way. Yeah, every superhero thing came after that came after this owes a debt to this in some way. I mean, even the um, the two Schumacher Batman movies, which are not good, but they used uh, concepts from this series yeah. as inspiration, right? Their their version of Bane or Mister Freeze and Poison Ivy in Batman and Robin, while awful, are you know their their attempts to do versions of these versions of the characters as opposed to the earlier. Uh, iterations of those um every, every superhero thing though not just dc but marvel um this was like this thesis on like here's how you do this here's how you tell stories yeah. but no one's ever come close again the, the especially with the level of like maturity and um just kind of sadness that's baked into this show that's what sets it apart right like we talked about with, with you know example for like the the baby doll thing where you know it just ends with this incredible moment of this person just being broken as a human being and and Batman quote unquote saves her just by sort of being there to like tell her like okay you, you got to go to Arkham but you you know it's it's not going to hurt so much anymore maybe yeah even the best superhero stuff i don't think approaches something like that they're they're afraid to do something that profound maybe the dark knight gets close yeah no, I, I, you know, people often ask, you know, you know, who's your favorite Batman? It's Kevin Conroy. Like, what's your favorite Batman, you know, on screen? It's the animated series. Like, I, I love all the other stuff like you, but I think this is the best. It kind of does everything. Like we said, there's like a spectrum here of different um, takes on Batman and the, the characters that populate his world. And it gives you all of them that gives you, if you want, like I said, if you want scary Joker, you get scary Joker. Sometimes you get comic Joker. You get that, you know, Christmas one where he's singing jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg. Like that's the same Joker (laughs) who like pulled off the freeway to threaten this guy within an inch of his life. Right. Same character. And they are able to so deftly do all of this without the thing losing its cohesion. Yeah. And uh, from a personal standpoint, and I'm sure you, you obviously uh, you would agree with me on this. Uh, so many voices that I started to do impressions of as a kid were voices, were were characters on this show. And as we've talked about, we've, we've kind of name checked a lot of the voice actors as we've, we've gone. A lot of them are you know very known for being good voice actors. A lot of them are known for just being good actors, period. Yeah. And the, the talent they mustered for all of this, like a, a lot of it would not work. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, man, it has to fire on all cylinders, the visuals, these, these, these very striking visuals, the, the, the orchestral score that we haven't touched on much that sort of borrows a bit from Danny Elfman, but is kind of its own. And then the writing and the performances, like all of it, you're every single one of them is just hitting 10 out of 10 every time. And let's not forget, this was before computers, so they were animating this on paper. <laughs> right, it's done That's the old fashioned. Insane. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really special, I think. And so I would encourage everybody who has even a passing interest, if you enjoyed The Dark Knight, if you enjoyed Tim Burton's Batman, like you owe it to yourself to watch at least the episodes we talked about today. If those don't get you in, nothing will. Uh, and then go back yeah. and watch the other stuff, but. 
yeah, it's just so consistently good. And uh, again, I you're right. I don't know that there is a better version of Batman than this one. And uh, rest in power, Kevin Conroy. Amen. All right. Uh, so, Rich, uh, where can people find you uh, if they want to find your good works? Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you can follow me at Rich Baker Coaching on Instagram or Facebook or richbakercoaching.com uh, for improv classes, improv workshops. Uh, I have a book on improv out there people can buy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of Mr. Improv. Uh, you certainly are. Uh, and of course, make sure you go see him at the West Side Comedy Theater if you're uh, here in L.A. And uh, to do some admin on our side, uh, if you like the show, go to iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. Rate it highly. Tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter at NostalgiumPod, and if you want to uh, send us feedback, that's one of the best places you can send it. We're, you can also find Nostalgia Arcanum on Instagram as well. Those are our two social media portals right now for as long as they exist. Uh, as far as upcoming episodes go, I admit I've recorded a few of these, and they may come out out of order, So, um, but we've got, I've got this one and uh, one we just recorded on day two, The Mighty Ducks. So whichever one, it's a, it's a race to get uh, out. Whichever one I edit first, uh, you'll hear first. And so I don't know if you're hearing this one and the other one second. But uh, other episodes in the works include, uh, we're going to do an episode on power ballads, which is going to be fun. And uh, I definitely want to do one on Animaniacs. There's, there's some good stuff coming down the pike for sure. Um, so thanks again, Rich, for doing this. I'm really glad you were able to, to come on. You're always welcome anytime you want. Uh, I always love, uh, always love talking with you, Doug. I love your podcast. Uh, thank you so much. All right. Uh, so, until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgium Arcanum. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman!